John McGregor is a force of nature. <laughs> now that, that may sound a little dramatic or overly dramatic even, so let me explain it just a bit. Force of nature, like a hurricane which you would probably run from, or a bright sunny day with a beautiful breeze which you would probably embrace lovingly. However you meet Don, you meet Don, the genuine article, 100% Don McGregor. Now, I've known him since the 70s, and we've been friends all that time, and I genuinely have appreciated his work and the time that we've had just talking about life, liberty, and the pursuits of happiness. And so I figured when Chris Ryan and I decided to interview him for this show that I was pretty much ready. I knew Don McGregor, and Chris had been reading Don's works for years and even did additional research to prepare for the interview. And then we called Don and realized we weren't ready. <laughs> you can't be. You can only embrace Don as Don and be prepared for a wild ride. Now, for those of you who don't know anything about Don, let me just give you a quick overview. He's a hell of a writer, and he's well-known in the comic book industry. And just to, just to abbreviate that experience a little bit, he's worked for DC, Marvel, Dark Horse, Dynamite Entertainment, Tops, and many independents. He's, he's written iconic characters like James Bond, Batman, Zorro, uh, for, for Marvel, the War of the Worlds series uh, with Killraven. He's written Luke Cage and so many other notable characters that you're familiar with. He's created uh, Detectives Incorporated, uh, Ragamuffins, uh, Lady Rawhide in the Zorro series, Detective Nathaniel Dusk, Saber, which is one of the characters he's also very well known for. But right now, the character he's best known for, or I should say is being most recognized for writing right now at this point in his life, in his illustrious career, is the Black Panther from Marvel. And specifically, in the early to mid-70s, he wrote Panther's Rage a maxi-series, a year-long tale that was the basis for 85 to 90 percent of the blockbuster film we all went to see last year, and which is now up for a number of awards, including several Academy Awards. So sit back with something refreshing to drink, get comfortable, because here comes one completely unplugged, unrestricted, un unleashed, pure Don McGregor interview. Here on Tell the Damn Story. Okay, this is good. Okay. The home phone. Put you on speakerphone and see if I sound okay on that. It will be easy for you to do this on speakerphone. Okay, try it. How's that sound? Chris? Sounds good, Sounds good to me. Okay. okay. So let's I'm ready when you guys are ready. Whatever you guys want to do. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so here we are. well, let me put that within reason now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who I'm talking to. Wait a minute here. What did I mean by that? <laughs> uh, well, we'd like to welcome you to uh, Alex Simmons and Chris Ryan's Tell the Damn Story. And if there's anybody in the world who knows how to tell a damn story, it's our special guest today, Don Greg McGregor. How are you, Don? Uh, I feel like uh, those days sometimes was exactly I thought it was like, God damn, how am I going to tell these stories? <laughs> what is the next line? What's the next panel? What's the next page? So, yeah, it's always a challenge. And getting yourself down there to face that, uh, to face that challenge, to face that, that, you know, the black screen these days. Yeah, like, black screen right as opposed to the, uh, the old, um, 
what is it? The old uh, uh, blank, blank page. page. Yeah. yeah. Blank page. Sure. Um, God, I was watching you this morning on my copy of the Blu-ray of Black Panther. There's that fantastic featurette with the roundtable discussion. Uh, everybody from you to Ryan Coogler. And uh, you had a great quote in there where you said the reason that you got to do Panther's Rage was because they didn't have time to read the issues. And that they right. caught on three or four issues in and said, hey, wait a minute, but we're already too late. It was already a novel, and then you could do what you wanted to do. So I have a few questions starting from there, if it's okay with you. Yeah, that's fine. All right. Is that on that quote, on that quote to give you how that really is set up? Uh, well, you, I, go ahead, sir. What, 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 what I wanted to know was, <laughs> were you always planning to write Panther's Rage as a novel-length story? And if so, why? Okay, a lot of people think a lot of the stuff was done for very specific reasons. Either I wanted to be the first to do this, or the first to do that, or there were political agendas in mind. I'm going to go back to your, your show is called Tell the Damn Story. Yep, that's it. So, it was, I was working on staff at Marvel, and basically, you know, I was a gopher, and reading uh, the reprint issues uh, that Marvel were producing during the mid-1970s. And um, when they came to me, it, it was kind of an ungiven rule that if you worked on staff and you were a writer at Marvel Comics in those days, somewhere along the way, they had they would offer you something to write. And you almost couldn't turn it down. I was like, okay, well, that would be like, well, you, you're not given a choice here. And I... I one, they had given me uh, an adapting uh, a vampire story, which I I didn't agree with. I didn't want to do, but I didn't know how to turn it down. But I, it wasn't like I thought was a better writer than August Derleth, who was the author of this particular story. I just didn't like the story. I didn't like what it was about. It dealt with kids as uh, being victims, and uh, I just, it's not, it wasn't my kind of story, but I was just beginning. It was, like my, it was the first offer that I'd been uh, given by them, and to reject it, I knew it had political consequences, and it's probably the only story I've ever written in my career, and I thought, I, I really, I should have had the courage to turn it down, but I knew that if I turned it down, probably it might be a long time before I get another offer. Now, the line was expanding very, very rapidly, and it would be producing more comics, and it, 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 some of the comics, they, they, they didn't really think they had a great chance of survival, and they were only doing like three quarters of the book with new material, and two of those happened to be, one of those happened to be Jungle Action, which they were reprinting. 1950s jungle stories from the comics where they were Atlas and Timely. And a lot in my job in those days was to read the reprint books. Um, and I'm going to tell you a quick story just to tell you how bad some of this could be. It doesn't have to be one of the jungle action because those I don't remember, but you know those are all going to be about blonde jungle gods and goddesses saving the natives from some peril and it, it was always a white hero or hero heroine uh, that was doing uh, all the adventures. But there was 
much. And just goes to show that, that we're pop culture and we're many of the people putting these books out, where their heads were at that time period. And let's talk about a wagon train going west as a young, callow youth who's, he hasn't, everybody thinks of him kind of as cowardly and he hasn't become a man and, uh, and they're going out to the, the rigors of the west and they get attacked by Indians. And in, in the course of the story, he kills three or four Indians. And this makes him a man. This makes him heroic. And it turns out, wow, I'm not at the point yet where you're really going to go, wow. <laughs> and then the end, last time we find out, this person is Abraham Lincoln. Oh, oh my God. How does, Lincoln, how does Abraham Lincoln become a man that can now leave the country by killing a bunch of Indians? Oh, wow. So now, how did you go from there? Okay. Right and now. let's be clear, you didn't write that. That's a story that you you just told us about that you it. read. I have to go to the look at you really seriously. You can't be going to publish this in 1973. <laughs> and my job, like, if I, if I could, I would ask him if I could rewrite. I would try to rewrite a thing to make it. Because some things you did have to rewrite because the code would not put certain things through. But that had nothing to do with the race. Race did not care about the jungle action stories. Now, I did complain to them, saying, I don't understand, and, and this story, is, there's been variations of it over the years, let's get it right for your show. When I went to them, I said, you know, I can't believe you guys are publishing this racist material in 1973 at Marvel Comics. I just can't believe you're putting it through. Um, I, I was I said, can't you at least do a, you know a, a, an African character that actually lives in Africa? And I wasn't even thinking of the Black Panther. Now, when it came out that they were going to be expanding the line, two of the titles they were going to expand was Amazing Adventures with Kill Raven and Jungle Action with the Black Panther. Uh, they had a meeting to which I was uninvited. I, I, I did not have any juice of power in those days. I really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm only proof, proofreading stuff, greeting people at the, uh, people coming to visit the offices. Uh, you know, it's kind of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they, they told me, okay, you're going to be doing the Black Panther in general action. The only thing that I am told is you're going to do the Black Panther Jungle Action. You're going to have 13 pages every two months to tell your story. To tell the damn story. Really? 13 pages every two months set in Wakanda. That's all I'm told. I'm given no further instructions. All right, so now I'm going to do what you, Chris, you, you and I always talk about, tell a damn story. So now I have to think about what am I going to do. I think Alice could probably back you up as I worry about everything. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. And I don't know. It doesn't I'm stop do. him from doing uh, well, it. He just worries um, about it. <laughs> you know, like, okay. Uh, and I had just, yeah, I'd only been in New York for a while. So I didn't have all my comics because they were back home in the state of Rhode Island. I think Jim Salakot loaned me his comics, and I read every book, every comic that had the Black Panther in it. Because in those days, you could do that. And there weren't a lot of stories. There may have been six, a half a dozen stories that used Wakanda as a base. They 
mean, nothing away from Stanley and Jack Kirby. They came up with the concept. I'm gonna, it's probably more Jack Kirby than Stan. But Stan knew how to make things really work in terms of making it flow with his dialogue and such. But they really, it's a great concept, but they did nothing with it. But they couldn't explore Wakanda. They only, you know, they had like two books doing the Fantastic Four. You had, you had the Fantastic Four characters. You had the Panther. You had to have a villain. That's already, that's a half a dozen characters, of, of characters right there that you're dealing with. And you got two books coming to tell whatever story that you're going to tell. So there really weren't very many stories about Wakanda. So the first thing I had to start thinking about, okay, well, how is this going to work? Because in the meantime, they had brought the Black Panther to New York City and made him a school teacher in Harlem. Now, this made absolutely no sense. <laughs> I understand why they did it. They wanted to get him into New York City so he could be a part of the Avengers or he could be a part of the other superheroes all running around New York City. But why would the king of the Wakanda, why would he even care about Harlem? Why would he care what's going on in America, more or less? He's got a kingdom to run. But they've taken him and they've not. And so I have to deal with this idea. Okay, so he's coming back to Wakanda. And so now I'm thinking about the damn story. How am I, so the first thing I think, all right, I got, I've got 13 pages every two months. And if every story I have to come up with a new villain, and a new, you know, a, a, some new conflict, and not just have white people stumbling in, uh, into a kind of discovering the vibranium mine and trying to steal it, which was a major storyline for any story they dealt basically with. Wakanda. Um, then I had to, what, how was it going to work? This like my, and my, my first instinct as a storyteller was, okay, if I do that. Um, every two months, we're going to come up with a new villain, and uh, and we're going to have 13 pages to resolve this uh, the situation and the story. And like within three issues, like, the Wakandans are going to be going like, you know, we were finally for you, Kevin. Well, you were over in Harlem. We we Yeah, can you go back to America, please? Why? 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 Go back, child. Go go back to the states. We don't need you here. So this was like one of my incidents that said, okay, it's got to be, I didn't think of it as a, yeah, I did think of it as a novel, but I didn't think of it as being, I wasn't thinking of it as being the first novel comics novel. As I was reading the book and researching, one of the things about, okay, it's got to be connected. If it's connected, then any of the, the villains that come up, um, it's all a part of, the same thing, it just doesn't seem like O'Challa oh, returns and suddenly we got villains coming in from every which way but loose and it's totally un unconnected. So therefore, that became the, the creation of Killmonger. He needed a villain. He had to have a, I wanted to have a strong villain in there. And so then I started working on the villain and I started working on the, the idea, okay, it's going to be... Uh, okay, we'll, we'll deal with the fact he's left his kingdom, he's come back. Well, what happens normally when a leader leaves their country? Um, things, you know, nobody's ruling it. Uh, other people use, you know, vying for power and uh, trying to come in. And so, therefore, I thought, okay, this will be about revolution and it'll be about war. 
and that'll be and that will be the connective, and that's something that's worth learning about. Because the other thing, we're going to go back to telling the damn story. Well, what am I writing about? What is the story? It, it, it can't just. I don't want to just be writing the same book over and over again. And going back to the fact that I worry about everything. As I was coming up with the idea of doing Panthers Rage. I thought, okay, well, I don't know how long this is going to last, or I'll be with this, um, but I, I, I don't want to write the same book over and over again. So in my head, I was always, before I even started writing, I finished page one for Panther's Ridge, I already had Panther's Quest plan, mm. which was like, wow, well, I'm going to South Africa. If any of you think I'm making this up, there are interviews with me, Back in the 1970s, and, and you know, some of the published fanzines, where I actually talk about taking Jawa to South Africa in 19, at the end of Panthers Rage. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, okay, this allows me to, to, to write about something that I feel is important, um, and at the same time, I can tell an entirely different story, and I realized no one had written about his mother. As I'm reading, you know, these Panther stories that have been done before, in his father's mentioned, but there was never any mention of his mother. So, at the very beginning of Panther's Rage, I decided I would never mention his mother. So that when the time came, I could do the storyline about, I had no idea why. All I knew was his mom would be in South Africa, and I, I, I didn't know why. But there's a story there, and it, and, and, it, and it would just be about a son searching for his mother in a racist, torn land, and how this makes the simplest human endeavor almost impossible. So, so let, me, thought, let me just, let me just... When I finish this, <laughs> um, I don't even know how to do the first story, which I'm, now I have to with on, and that's a bold space. But already I'm saying, okay, we've got, I've got a villain, I've got a connective, what is this book about? And so then it was like working thematically on themes that I thought should be the major themes that would go from beginning to end of Panther's Rage. But by doing them more or less as a novel, where they were connected, you could have a sense of the characters going somewhere. Because very often in comics, you have a certain parameters of where the character go and it basically have to stay the same unless you get permission to change that character radically somehow don let me so let I, me just jump in for a quick second i just want uh, to clarify things because also there's a little sound stuff going on so i just want to make sure everybody really understands so when you 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 a you sat down and you were really thinking about the how you were going to approach writing a, a quality Black Panther series, whatever the length. You weren't saying, oh, I've only got 13 pages, and so I'm not going to enjoy this. You were saying, how do I use the, the, the restrictions of size or length or whatever to to tell the story properly? So you you basically serialized the story, so that but you had connectors, right? right. So that each issue... The, the 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 audience or the readers didn't feel like oh new new story new book new villains new heroes whatever they were really as I said as a serial what happens next what you know what how does this resolve and what continues on so that's great and then you said um, something about the mother you said that you had realized that in the six stories that had been written about the panther 
you know, in terms of his stories. And then, obviously, I guess when he was with the Avengers and so forth, that his mother had never been mentioned, only his father? Right. Aha. Uh -huh. So, in, in becoming conscious of the fact that the family, you know, history had not been reflected in that arena, you then right. thought about it and decided, A, you wouldn't mention her in Panther's Rage, the story you were about to write, but right. you already had the solid idea for Panther's Quest and where it right. was going to happen, and you knew that it would deal with his mother then. So that finding his mother becomes a whole nother story, and we're getting more into his lineage, his family, you know, his culture, and so forth. This is, all, this is all pretty good, because, you know, a lot of people don't think about how writers build a world. And, and you are really, at this point, you're, you're doing it, and you're even extending it beyond the assignment you had at the time. Hey, well, the other thing, just going, there's like, we're talking about maybe a passage of about three months before I actually write a finished page. Mm. Because what do you do during those, those, that time? I kept researching, and I kept deciding, making decisions of what do I, what does it mean doing a bi-monthly book of 13 pages? So a number of things came out of that. What is a bi-monthly book? That means, for instance, if I read a character out of the book for one issue, that means the reader doesn't see that character for four months. Mm. If I read a character out for two issues, they don't see that character for half a year. So let's take characters like Wakabi and Taku, or, or in Amazing Adventures with Kill Raven, if I wrote Old Skull or Bashur for one or two issues, you didn't see those characters again for half a year. That's a long time to ask an audience to, to invest any emotional commitment to these characters and to care what happens to them. So there was, again, a, 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 the things I would... My head as a storyteller to tell that damn story is <laughs> they need a scene, every issue that's theirs, so that when the time comes down the road and something dramatic really happens in one of those characters, the audience cares. Mm. They don't know what happens to Taco, they want to know what happens to a copy. And also, because it's comics, I can set the audience up. Um, normally, when characters are in, in the supporting cast of a comic, you know what their, their position is. James Earl Jameson is, you know, she, he's Spider-Man's uh, antagonist. You know, he, and his fulfillment is this. Betty's place is this. So each character, you kind, of, kind of know where they belong. And I thought was, okay, you know, the first year I would let people say, they really see Wakabi, he's the war commander for the, the broadcast. But I knew in my head that, like, I, I'd give it a year and let anybody settle in and think they understood all the characters. And then I would, like, suddenly you see Wakabi's home life. And his home life is a disaster. But that allowed me to, like, explore um, domestic tensions and, and, and violence. Um, and it's something you're seeing Wakabi in a whole other way. Because you always, you thought you knew him, you followed him for a year, and then suddenly you say, oh no, this more than this character than I ever thought. Mm. So now, Don, now, Don, you had, it sounds to me like you had a lot of the story in your head, um, well in advance of writing it. As I come to you, they don't come to you all at once. Like, as I'm developing the story, the books, like, and, and some of the three influenced by Republic serials. Alex knows. I don't really understand. Originally, 
movie was going to be, Campus Radio was going to be 10 books. I come up with 10 separate stories, and I thought, and, and each individual book would have a, 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 a separate theme, a, a small theme that, that, that um, only amplified the larger theme that ran through all the books. And so I really wanted to work thematically, but I was also making another decision. Again, to go back, as your show is called, Tell the Story. The other thing was, okay, we're doing uh, a, an African character who is uh, a superhero. He's the hero of the thing. He's the Tarzan of this title. Therefore, this should like, satisfy, I was trying to find a way to take all those things that people loved about that, those kind of stories they put it into one big, giant, uh, jungle genre story. Mm-hmm. So you've got, and that started to mean, okay, now we have to develop Wakanda. Because basically the Wakanda was the city, uh, it's, it's a great concept. I'm not taking anything from Stan and Jack, but please understand, it was only, basically it was the city, it was the vibranium mound, there was people, white, white people stumbling in, finding the vibranium mound, and... Uh, and, and there was, that's what the, the essential core of most of the stories was. This meant now, like, if I wanted to try to do that, that meant bringing in, how am I going to get dinosaurs in there? How am I going to get the, the you know, there's going to be, there's going to be, wood, there's going to be snow landscapes. There's going to be these different areas of Wakanda. And that meant, in the midst of all those other things I was thinking about, developing the various areas of Wakanda and starting on the map. All that yeah, stuff is yeah. done before I've written a single issue. <laughs> and, now, and, 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 and again, and, 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 by the way, Ryan Kruger and Nate Moore do an incredibly splendid job of bringing all the various writers of the Black Panther together into that film. Yeah, I did. 
you know, right. and again, in setting up building Wakanda, I wanted it to be a unique and special place. So, I, and so even down to the coast, I was like, and this is before I'm writing, you know, for these pages, they look, anytime there's, it's nighttime. The moon of Wakanda is always a flat to that moon. There's always clouds scudding through it. It's never pale yellow. It's always orange or blood red or, it, 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 but I want this Technicolor. place to be and every time you come to it, you say, this isn't New York, this isn't Latveria, or whatever places that, you know, other places. It's its own unique place. And people really did get to the point where they didn't want other people coming into Wakanda. They wanted the stories that there because they wanted to visit that special place again. And so all these things that the movie justifiably gets credit for 40 years later, they're all in those comic books from 1973 to 1976. Yes, they are. And what I'm, what I'm so amazed about, and I just, I, I, I picked them all up um, in the Epic Collection, which is a fantastic, you know, you can sit and just read the whole Epic uh, Panther's Rage. But you had to get all these themes, all these characters, all this world building, and all this action, is he going to fight a snake? Is he going to fight an, an alligator? All of this at 13-page clip. That is an amazing challenge for a writer. How did you figure out how to do it consistently? Because it really holds up in 2019. I read it again uh, just recently in preparation for the interview. It holds up so well from the 70s, and the pace is amazing, the world building is amazing, but you had to do it at 13-page clips. Writers would love that secret. How'd you, how did you plan, how do you pack so much in to 13-page shop? You never sleep. <laughs> because I work hard about it, you know. <laughs> Well, as you can see, I mean, obviously, there isn't any secret. The secret is is caring about it and trying to hear the characters' voices in the head and becoming aware of what, like say, you realize, oh, if I leave a character on, they don't get seen for four months or half a year. Right, right. And, and, and the endurance factor of doing a book like Panther's Rage is this. No matter what happens along the wayside, for two and a half years, you have blinders on. This is like going into a grueling race, and that you have to put blinders on. And that idea that you had, the concept that you had in your head of what you, you thought the story could be about and what it should be about, and trying to bring those characters to life, keeping that view all the way through to the end, and not losing faith. Even when, because editorial did not believe in those books. You know, it wasn't long into the books where they were going like, well, there's the white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. My argument with them always would be, well, it's not my mythology, <laughs> it's their mythology. <laughs> you said Wakanda is this hidden, super-advanced African nation, and nobody knows where it is, and nobody can find it because they're smart enough to know how to hide it from everybody. So where are all these white people supposed to come from? <laughs> <laughs> so the most 
Missouri, essentially, is Wakanda. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, what I, I want to... I want to say, just recently, I see these, uh, these things coming up on the internet saying that Jack Kirby, you know, uh, did the, the Panther versus the Ku Klux Klan. Well, first of all, when, I've never read any of Jack's Panther stuff when he came back. I never read anybody's stuff when they came back. My feeling, was not to, Jack Kirby doesn't have to ask Don McGregor about anything. He's Jack Kirby for God's sake. Half of what's up there, you know, belongs, it, it wouldn't be there if it wasn't for Jack and Stan Lee and Steve Ditko and just some extent a little bit Gene Colwin. Those people, imagine all those characters they created and half a century later, they're as popular now as they were then. So part of it was, I mean, that's discouraging. I mean, like, but now because my health, I, you know, I got, I got ribs that hurt whenever I dream deep. Um, I got this, I have a foot situation that's going on. It's, and it's and sometimes I'm nearly, it, it makes it really hard for me to breathe. Um, and then you know, you trust things like that. You think, all that work, I don't want credit for anything I didn't do. I don't, as the council would say, I've never asked, credit for anything I didn't do. But I damn well want credit for what I did do. And Alex knows that doing those books cost me. If they weren't, you know, editorial was not something of it. No matter what they want to say about it here in the year 2019, in 1973 to 1976, believe me, nobody's going to, way to go, Don. That's the way they go. And by the way, getting so many typewritten letters to your books, that means another, uh, a, a, another, uh, display that they're going to die because you've got, you've got readers that are thinking too much about this or too old and you've got too many typewritten letters. This is the kind of response I was from editorial. Let me uh, let me give let me give action, let me jungle action number. Can I have a can I have a, a second here? And I, I knew I knew this was going to happen, which is why I've been laying back because Chris has has a bundle of great questions to ask, and Don, I know that you will talk until the air leaves all of the of Earth's atmosphere. But let me just give your voice a rest, and Chris is going to ask you another question in a moment. But give your voice a rest for a moment, Don, and let me just sort of support something that you said a moment ago. Yes, I was there. I was there when he was writing the fan letters from Rhode Island to New York, and I was there when they brought him to New York to work for them, and when he moved here uh, with his family and all of that. And I did watch a lot of what happened as he worked on these books for, for, for two and a half, almost three years. And, and the thing, again, is, yeah, certain people like to rewrite history, but the reality is, the one thing I will say is that, Don, yeah, you did, you did a ton of research, which meant you respected the material. As a writer, you respected the material, but then also understanding that you were stepping into a, a cultural experience you had not had coming from Kingston, Rhode Island, you did even more work. And then you spent time hanging out with Billy Graham, with myself, with a few other people of different ethnicities and cultures, because to you, this was all a phenomenal world. And we watched Don absorbing and observing and interacting with, and, and, and we had a good time with him. And we respected what you were doing because you were respecting us. And so I saw that, and I also saw the garbage that came at you because of what you were doing. And Billy saw it too, and a few other people who were around you at that time also witnessed it. So literally, part of what made those books possible, Chris, going back to a question you asked him, about how do you do this, is Don committed to it. He committed to it passionately, he committed to it ethically, and he committed to it creatively. Telling the best story possible, respecting the characters, material, and so forth, 
was absolutely his religion. And you saw him go through it because you saw, you saw was it, that Daniel in the lion's den scenario around him. And you saw him doing his best to, st to try and stay being a decent human being and just telling good stories for the people who were enjoying reading them. So I just wanted to throw that in there and, you know, go for it. You're, you're welcome, buddy. It's just the truth. I'd like to... And some of those, you know, like Tasha with Alex and Billy, are some of my, you know, favorite moments of my life. I've said this on many occasions over the years. Um, I come from the state of Rhode Island. You know, it's just the smallest state in the Union. And uh, my, uh, what I used to say about Rhode Island all the time was, uh, the only thing I know about it is that in an episode of Super Chicken, <laughs> which got to the series, it was safe for being kidnapped by Super Chicken. Uh, that's a strange game. Uh, so I, I had to come to Manhattan, and I had to come up to Spanish Harlem and Harlem to find people who understood what I was passionate about. Here, you know, if I was back in Rhode Island, well, you could say, oh, I like that movie, I like that book, I like that comic. Well, not comics, because no, I, I don't know that I knew anybody in Rhode Island that actually read comics. So, in coming and meeting with people like Alex and me, people were doing, we all loved the stuff. It wasn't just something that um, we, we used for entertainment. It was something that, that actually spoke to our lives things we certainly probably wanted to try to live up to it. Maybe we didn't always live up to it. Um, but I think there was a real uh, passion for it. And it was as real, at least for me as a kid growing up, you know, Hopper or Cassidy or, or getting older, Robert Cuthbert, Bill Cosby and I Spice, they were as real to me uh, as anything that was in my, re you know, in my real like, everyday life. So, uh, that's all that influenced the writers that I read. They were the ones who like influenced me as a human being. I don't. I can't say I always lived up to all of the stuff. And I, I'm often when people write to me now and tell me how much how much the books affected their lives at the time they read them. Um, it means a lot to me because obviously any storyteller, you know, I don't think there's more you could ask for than people tell you, oh, you know, when I read this. This got me through this time of my life, or this taught me that, or this, you know. If you if you have that response, it it, it doesn't make up for the fact you weren't making money, or the, the hardships you might have put your family through, uh, or the things that caused you to do those stories. To do something like Panther's Rage, for instance, you probably note that I didn't do the South Africa story after Panther's Rage. But because by the time I was coming to the end of those two and a half years, I was going through a divorce. I was going into custody courts to see my daughter. I knew I couldn't research it. I just, I, I did not have the, the, I didn't have the energy. I didn't have the focus um, that we would be required to explore that subject matter and and do it correctly and not. Um, trivialize what was very, very important subject matter. And that's how the Ku Klux Klan material came about. Because it was set in America. Um, I, it was America's bicentennial. And that wasn't lost on me. I thought, well, this is kind of like my birthday gift to America. To get America <laughs> to live up to the myth of what America says it is. And I was already seeing, for me, what inspired that story line was the, the extremist lines are already 
building in America. So you didn't just have a resurgence of the Klan coming back. You had these religious cults like the, the Reverend Sun Young Moon. And so I was like, what I really wanted to explore was extremism in America. And I'll just, that any of these people, they really feel they're better than anybody else. And that other people's lives are negligible. And I thought it was a true important theme, and, and that's a theme I could deal with. And I didn't have to go out and study uh, all the intricacies of Panther's Quest. When I came back in the 1980s, and by the way, they, I kept turning them down on the Black Panther. It wasn't like, I kept saying, no, nah, I don't want to fight with you guys anymore. I really don't. I don't want, I don't want 30% of my energy, 40% of my energy or more going in there to fight with you guys over what is going to be in the books. I want to put it into writing. And so during the 80s, I had more power. I could not decide, honest. People think I chose Rich Buckler. They did not want Rich Buckler on that book, which was too important and honest to have him uh, doing the Black Panther. And that he was able to stand up for half a year is amazing. People think, because I was friends with Billy, that I chose Billy Graham as the honest. I didn't, I didn't have the power to choose Billy. Why was Billy on that book? I'll tell you why Billy was on that book, because in those days, if you were a black artist working in comics, they felt, okay, you, you had to be on black pedals then. That's what you could draw, were, were black characters. So therefore, Billy would be on Luke Cage, or he would be on uh, the Black Panther. Or Luke, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. I, and I, just to as that line was expanding, there was a segment where they were going to increase uh, titles for uh, women readers. And uh, they, I think they did three, like one was called Night Nurse, another one was called The Cat, and I think it was Apache Walker or something like that. I don't, I don't remember them all. That's the only thing that, that women writers were given to, to, to write is because they, editorial in those time periods, you don't think my word for it, just look at what they did. Look at what exists. They really let women writers write those titles. And if those titles didn't work, uh, well then, you know, uh, then th those writers were out of business. You know, and on top of that, those weren't the titles that they were going to, to really promote. What do the salespeople really do? Their job is to sell books. But it's, let's say, Exxon. Exxon is selling, and it's a big seller. Most of the money going to advertising is going to go for the Exxon. But the Exxon's already a big seller. It, you know, like, but they, by, by doing this, they, it's the salespeople can say, well, you know, we're, we're the reason the Exxon was such a big success because we really promoted it. We did, we did a hell of a promotion. Whereas books that really need promotion no, you're not wrong, but let, let Chris get this next question in, because I, I think it's really important. It ties into what you were saying.
reverberated for you. Uh, I've, I've been at your table when people have come up with a leather-bound copy of their issues of Panther's Rage and asked you to sign. And of course, the last two years, you have seen many of your ideas fully realized in Kugler's absolutely superb film adaption of The Black Panther. I'd love to ask you, can you explain to us or revisit with us what your first experience of seeing so much of your vision realized on screen, what was that like? Don? (laughs) (laughs) The silence, the silence. Uh, there's this guy, he's a street sweeper in Harlem. 
and he doesn't know he's the Black Panther. He doesn't know he's a king of, of you know, uh, a mythical African nation. Um, he has amnesia, and he he never takes baths because cats are afraid of water. But he doesn't realize that's why he'll never take. He doesn't want to get. He doesn't want to get water on him. So we have a street keeper who never bathes, who's going to be the hero of this movie. And that's the concept wow. that, that can be sold in the 1990s. So thank God for Ryan Coogler and Nate Moore. Oh, God, yeah. So what was your favorite scene from the movie? What that, that reminded you of your own work? Like, oh, wow. Oh, I don't know if I, I don't know if my mind works that way. I'll tell you what, the, here's the best experience I had that night watching the movie. Um, <laughs> there are two things do come up. While the Panther was going through, the, where he was like dying and going through the subway and seeing his, his dad again and all, I started having, I had a heart condition, I started having chest pains. And I couldn't straighten up. I literally couldn't, I couldn't sit up straight. And, and I tried to look at the movie, but like my eyes slanted up and tried to see the screen. And uh, for about 10 or 15 minutes, I literally couldn't sit up straight. I didn't want to make any noise. I didn't want to disturb anybody. Oh, and then and part of my mind was so quietly had a heart attack. Oh, my God. I'm thinking to myself, my God, if I die here while this is going on, can you imagine the, 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 the legends? In <laughs> 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 10, 15 years down the line, wow, is it true that Tom Rivera really died when he was watching the Panther die up on the movie screen and he died in the audience? That, but it would have made some story. I, you know, Not one I would want to read. I'm glad, it, I'm glad you're still here. God bless you. Uh, the great thing, the thing that really was a moment that moved me the most was I met Christopher Priest for the first time. Okay. And Christopher said something, you know, to me, said, Don, that's 80% of your movie. You know, we're just peons. You should be down there with the other people. And I said, I'd rather be up here with you guys. Mm. And I the chance now to meet Christopher and spend time with him. So if you ask me, what's the thing that I, one thing I like most is like I got to meet Christopher and become friends with him. And uh, I, that's one of the things. Um, seeing my wife be able to see that uh, the books were being recognized and re, you know, discovered by a whole new audience. The people who love those books Loved them as passionately. People don't love the movie, but this on obviously a much bigger scale, and that's so gratifying to see it. Um, people young and old responding to it, seeing the kids wanting to be the Black Panther, whether they're young boys or girls, uh, it doesn't matter. And uh, or wanting to do the Wakanda salute and, and all that. I mean, that's just really. A terrific thing if it adds something positive in a time period where this country is so divisive and there is so much extremism and divisiveness going on um, that the film can have that kind of impact and um, if part of that is due to what we did in those comics uh, for over four decades ago um, then I'm glad I lived long enough to see it so they were just going to be forgotten. And the stuff, you know, like for some reason, it was like starting in the 80s. And so writers in the 80s were getting, as if they started, 
comics. Um, and I'm really glad Dave Gerber getting recognition now. And thank for myself to see that these books are now be, they're the same books they were, you know, for over four decades. But to see new people responding to them, and that for a lot of people, they seem to be holding up in terms of. Sure. Now you mentioned you mentioned how how divided this country is, and that takes me to the other big title you did. Uh, at least in my eyes, when I was a kid, one of my favorite books was Kill Raven, and it was a book about a, a world shattered by would-be overlords, and it was set in the far-flung future of 2019. <laughs> and now here we are in 2019 in a world shattered by would-be overlords. So my question to you is: Do we need a Kill Raven today? Well, I, here's a comment I made about why I think so many people like the Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's a king. He can do anything he wants. He's a monarchy. Literally, nobody can tell him no. If he says, "You know what? I want to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I want to do this," but the child is a leader who actually cares about all the different factions of his country and of the different lifestyles that people have. So whether you are, and one of the things I tried to get at with the original books is it didn't matter whether you were a technocrat or a farmer, if you were, uh, you know, if you were in charge of the military or, or if you were... Um, Mining for vibranium? Right. I mean, it, exactly. I mean, like, the idea was like that everybody in that uh, community, he's trying to represent and to the best of his ability. And of course, that's almost an impossible thing to do. But I think that, that many of us would like to have a leader who actually shows that he cares about the people that he that he represents, that he, you know, whose lives he affects, and that he really wants to do the best he can. And don't we all wish we had leaders right now that would <laughs> have that? Right? Because you know, I agree with you. Yeah, I'm right. And one of one of the uh, gifts of the world is that we have minds like yourself still out there being able to express those great ideas and tell those damn stories. And I appreciate that. I want to say thank you very much, Don, for everything you've done. Thank you so much. It means, you know, it's really got a day where you're not really feeling that well to have people um, with such great spirit as yourself and a belief in, in the telling of stories. Because to me, being a storyteller is, you know, it's, it's important and you have to keep it important. And, you, and not let anybody steal that importance from you. And that is a belief. And that's, there are times where, um, I think Alan Goldwyn was at DC Comics doing the Thaddeus Dusk, said that he wrote the dictionary down. Donald was to whatever you tell him that you want in the, you know, in the beginning, but once he starts to work on it, he wants only one other person in the sandbox with him, and that's the honest. And he doesn't want anybody else in there, because then you've got to, you've got to stop, okay, what is this story about? Who are these characters? And any time that, that other people screw these things up, it's your name on that. I have never once in all the years I've been doing this, never going to a convention that somebody come up and say, you know, Don, why did the editor do this? 
and they were comic strip characters. And I knew that the people in comics, editorial, they knew the Modesty Blazers. It was on a level that they could equate with. This gave me enough time to have the reader start saying, when are you going to let these two get together? Because <laughs> then, I've been thinking of Stan Lee. Now, I couldn't do it. I could go directly to Stan. But if I do that and I'm cutting out editorial, this is an all-out declaration of war. So therefore, even if I get it through and I get it into print, it's among my last books. I don't care what people want to say. Believe me, that would, that, would, that would not have been tolerated by editorial. Stan wasn't reading those books. Stan was too busy promoting books, going to college campuses and lectures and, and you know, doing whatever Stan was doing. He was being Stan. At that point in time, Stan was not writing the books. He wasn't even reading them. He didn't have time to be doing that. But I also knew that Stan legitimately did want Marvel to be first about things. So once I get enough readers like asking about this, I could go to the editor and say, look, I want to have a talk with Stan, or have a meeting with Stan, and talk about uh, being able to do an interracial kiss kiss between uh, Mr. Love and Camilla. Hold on, let me take a drink here from that. Mm, sure. No, do what you gotta do, Don. Yeah, because I'm losing it. And I get such drive off. <laughs> Alright, so we, we have this big meeting. And I think that one of the first things that Stan says to me, well, Don, um, can't she be green or something? Can't she be? Does she have to? Yeah. I said, I'm sorry, Stan, what are you going to do? Yeah, she's white, what are you? That's just what it is, you know? <laughs> well, I, uh, the thing is, I'm just concerned about the, you know, maybe the PT down the south, and uh, they'll, they'll have a meeting, and look what your kids are, are reading and, and everything. And But I do have to appeal to Stan on this. And, you know, I remember telling well, one year, you know, Stan, the sad thing is, I, I, I hear the DC Comics getting ready to do an interracial kiss and uh, one of the romance. <laughs> they were just so sad. You think it would just be sad if we saw DC did it before Marvel? Oh, no, Don, I don't want that. <laughs> I said, well, let's see, Don, and right here, we have the chance to be the, the first to do it. First one through the door, Stan, we can do this. <laughs> and so then Stan said, oh, okay, okay. Uh, you, you can do it. Uh, but it was, then it was decided that I could do it, but the panel had to be uh, done in knockout colors. Explain and, that, Don. Uh, What's knockout colors? What do I mean by that? Knockout colors meant that both figures, they wouldn't be black or white or any other. They would be just one color. In other words, both characters would be colored purple. So that you couldn't take the, if you looked at the panel, you wouldn't be able to say, oh, there, it's, a, it's a white woman and it's a black guy. It's two purple um, people. Uh, yeah, right, okay. One-eyed, one-eyed. So right. I was purple people and came in sometime later. And a make ready is a coverless copy that comes in before the completed books actually come in. And I'm once again called into the editor's office. I'm called into the editor's office on virtually every book that I do as a coverless <laughs> I think the first one I was called in was actually to tell me that Killmonger could not appear on the covers after the first issue of Panther's Rage. That's why you don't see Killmonger again. And what's the reason? Probably because they were not used to a black character that was as fierce as Killmonger, as angry as Killmonger.
Killmonger, um, as strong looking as Killmonger. You know, he's really, you know, he's a formidable looking guy. And, and you know, in creating him, I kept saying to Rich, he's got, Jala has to look like he doesn't have a chance against this guy. When we see him, and, and to be honest with you, Killmonger really feels he's above his Jala. He, he's, he's in the right, what he's doing is in the right, and it doesn't matter. Charles, you will still see him as a challenge. You know, and so if I could get that across, uh, because the only way you have heroism is if you, you the, the, the hero has to overcome almost insurmountable odds. This is so go, ahead, go back, go back to the, the knockout colors. Finish that, because that's a great punchline. I'll go back to the future. So when they came on, I get called into the, uh, you know, into the office, and it's in full color. Marshall was the illustrator, right? Marshall was the illustrator, okay. um, and he, 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 like he never flinched from. You know, there were maybe a, a ten explicit, sexually explicit panels in that book, and it's like a thousand panels probably. So nobody's buying it just for that. I just wanted sex to be a part of life. 
Russell was the illustrator for Kill Raven, correct? Yes. Yes, okay. Yes. Just... You know, so, uh, well, the same I... boots and a hot pants for a hint, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, well, you know I, the funny thing is, Don, Don, people, it's funny how, how often people will ask someone, why aren't you such and such? And I think the, the, the question is always curious to me is, why are you? Why, why is somebody that way? And, and why is it strange if you're not that way? You know, it's, it's, Could you clarify what do you mean, are that way? Well, okay, so people will ask Don, or, or they've asked some other, and, and, and even from my side of the fence, you know, some of the you know, brothers and sisters have asked me, well, why, why don't you, why don't you hate white people? Why don't you distrust them the same way, you know, because you look at what they've done. But, and I said, it's just not who I am. It's, 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 not, it's not how I respond to the world. It's not how I see it. It's not, certainly if racism and prejudice is, is, is wrong, why would I perpetrate it? But even before that, even before thinking about it on that level, it's not what I live and breathe. And I've definitely, in, you know, faced prejudice and, and racism, but that's, that's somebody else's disease. It's not one I contracted. So to me, when people ask, why aren't you angry at or why aren't you anti this? And I say, it's because I'm not, you know, it's just not the way I am. That seems to be a hard concept for them to wrap their heads around. And like what Don's saying, when people ask him, well, why aren't you prejudiced? And the question is, why should I be? You know, really, what are the reasons I should be anti another culture? And I, I just find that that's sort of interesting. You know, if, if something is wrong, why would you want me to be that thing? Why would you want well, us to be infected with it? label people too it's like and, and, and they will say like, well, I, 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 I know you've experienced so people are like oh you're not black enough what does that yeah. mean oh yeah oh yeah I, one of the funniest things I remember Dennis Collin the first time I met Dennis uh, I was sitting out uh, some steps outside the San Diego Comic Con with Dwayne McDuffie and we're talking and Dennis goes to me you know Don when I was reading Saber I thought he was this big black guy he said you know I, I, I couldn't believe it when I I said you're, you're short not only you're short but whiter than white you're like Wonder Bread white <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, the other thing, Don, you remember also back in the day when you were doing Panther and Kill Raven, but back in the day, do you remember certain people saying to you that you're too close to the black experience? Well, that's why they took me off the black Panther. <laughs> that's exactly what I was told. Yeah. We're taking, we're taking you off because you're too close to the black experience. And I literally looked at my hand, you know, the white hands are going like, excuse me, what? Now, <laughs> uh, Jim Sutter says that uh, I was just being told that, um, um, and, and that I knew that, and I knew that wasn't the case, uh, but I, I was like a jilted, the answer was treating me like a jilted a girlfriend. And I said, I don't know what the people's motivations are, but here's the one thing I can tell you. Them having said that, meant I lost that book and I lost, I no longer had a job. And so whatever, whatever reasons they may or may not have had, the major thing that I know was when I walked out of that office, I no longer had the Black Panther, and I no longer had Kill Raven, and I had no money coming in, and I was going through a divorce, and I was going through, you know, the custody cases uh, to see my daughter, um, and you're facing all of that. So it, it was a very... You know, it, it was an exciting time because the readers were responding so much to those books as I was doing them, and there was such an extreme uh, acceptance among 
those people, they really let it be known, and they let it be known that they they really loved it being set in Wakanda and having an all Wakanda cast. Or when I did the clan stuff, there was a real acceptance by readers all over for it. Uh, even I know I couldn't like go for two years and do it, you know, just handle that. Uh, the, the problem was like trying to get to the other extremist groups because you, you couldn't just do the Reverend Sun Young Moon because they could sue. You could do the Klan, you know, you couldn't take a specific cult and, and so then you had to make one up, and it, it, there were, you know, and I, I, I knew I had to get more costume characters, which is why Wind Eagle comes into the in the last issue. So I just knew there's no way they're only looking at the artwork, but if they don't see um, any costume heroes in there and fights going on, well, um, yeah, it, 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 it was I was it was already getting called into question, and by this time they knew me well enough to know. Well, Don isn't going to do this thing as a brief thing. He's really going to explore it, and, and and so that became, you know, within issues I was off the book. Am I glad the issues that I didn't get to do exist? Yeah, do I have any regrets about doing them? No, maybe I wish I could have done them better. Um, but I'm glad the books exist because I think it did let comics uh, approach topics that they normally wouldn't, and it also affected a lot of people's lives and gave them a lot of uh, hope. And I, you know, like, and I, I like the idea, like, like when the Panthers put on the cross, my first line was, he is not a symbolic Christ figure. I was so tired of comic books doing this, superheroes as Christ figures, as if that's somehow deep. <laughs> and what I really want to get at, this is a human being. This is the Black Panther. You care about him. Therefore, you don't want to see him being burnt alive on the cross. The, the, the comics code said, well, it was blasphemy. Um, it was promoting bondage. And I said, yes, it does all those things. But it's, you know, it's going after them. Um, when we think of a Black Panther book, it wants to see the Black Panther not win. And the fact that he's able to, like, take that cross, the burning cross, and actually take out the Ku Klux Klan with the burning cross, to me it's like, well, you know, there's just a visual symbolic victory there that we can you know we can do in comics and, and so many people didn't get the next storyline where Veronica's mother talks about an uncle that they had during post-construction civil war south and an uncle who ends up being lynched by the Ku Klux Klan um, but it's, it's balanced on the other side by Monica fantasizing what it would be like if Chala existed in those times and the Black Panther could intervene. And I really wanted to get at what, why we like costumed heroes so much. Why? Because they can come in and save the day. So in Monica's comic book or her, or her, her visualizing the Panther being there, she can save her uncle from being lynched. Mm. But in the real version, when her mother tells a story, you watch her, her uncle die being lynched by a tree limb. So the power uh, there, and it, you know, I think is going to move people. 
but it's also wanted to make a comment about here's what we do as storytellers. I think in some cases it's That's here's what you do story. as storytellers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, God bless you. Don, I'm going to... Don McGregor. Yeah, I'm, and, and, and I think Chris and I are in agreement on this. We're going we're gonna to bring this one to a close, not for any other reason than I'm hearing your voice, bro, and uh, I know you can talk for another three hours, and then, of course, your throat will be ruined. Uh, you've got more stories to tell, and I definitely want to hear them. And, and sometimes we'll tell some stories about adventures Don and I had <laughs> together roaming New York. Actually, I was, yeah. I was on my best behavior. I didn't tell all the stuff I know about you two. Well, you're going to get a chance. You're going to get a chance, Chris. You're going to get a chance. Because, Don, I would love to have you come back. I want you to heal some more, okay? No, no more taking on six and seven guys in barroom brawls. All right, let your ribs heal. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know. I'm not doing it much anymore either. <laughs> you know? That's full I took on Valentine's Day. And we were getting ready to go out for Valentine's dinner. And I was really, emotional. said, no, you got to put the garbage up before we leave because we'll be too tired when we get back. And I was wheeling it across the lawn, but the, the, the barrier between the end of the lawn and the street, and it iced over. So I got to get over the ice any second. And when they hit the street, it just shut off. I, I hit that street so hard. Oh. I, oh, I put my elbow bone up into my rib cage. Oh. And so it's noise. I'm, I'm in the middle of the street. It's really cold out. And I, this is the first time one of the neighbors comes out. I, I lived here for two years or more, and I never met these people. But they were kind of because I couldn't even get up off the street. But then I was thinking, we're going to we gonna go to the emergency room. We're going to go to the emergency room. And I'm going... For 40 some years, we've always had Valentine's dinner. I think this is getting better. I think I can handle this. And I said, nah, really, I'd rather go to dinner than go to the emergency room. However, once we got to the restaurant and we're eating, and I was fine as long as I'm sitting still. But when I got up to go to the bathroom, I thought, oh, man, you know what? So by midnight, I ended up, I've been in the emergency room for hours. And to be honest with you, boy, I was really, I didn't think I was going to need all those painkillers. But we're now how many days away? And to be honest with you, when I'm breathing deep, get, get preparing for this. I said, I'm going to take stuff for my throat. I'm going to take stuff for my, you know, from this pain so that I can talk to Alex and, and Chris at the same time and not, you know, like, uh, am I going to be able to get through this? Don, what was what was the damage? Do you crack or break? Well, I think they believe like there's a um, crack, crack is not the word they use. Fractured. Uh, a fracture, yeah. Ah. Uh, and and uh, the, the problem is, I hit in both places my elbow and my rib cage. I, I guess I really solidly bruised both. I, by that time, I was too tired, Alex. I just, I'll answer Alex this morning. I just, 
I just, I don't have it in me to do it right now. It's okay. You know I'm not going to let him down. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny you bring that up, just again, because we were saying goodbye, but we'll just say this and stick this in there quickly. Don and I are actually yeah, going to be as writers in the same book, although I'm not a Don McGregor, forget that, but we're going to be in the same book because we are actually working on... We're going to do this in another. We're going to talk about all that good stuff. I just want to tell people that, uh, and we'll do the other episode before this happens, but there is a Black Panther psychology book coming out in May or June of this year, and Don has written the the, the forward for that, and I've written something in that, and it's great. Uh, and I, it was fun to be able to work on something Black Panther-oriented with you. So, um, Don, I'm gonna, you got to go rest your voice now and, and, and your, your side and everything. And your ribs. And, yeah, your oh, ribs. Oh, 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 oh. When, 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 when? Wow. Well, we don't, I, it's still being worked on. Okay. And the, but, but the, the artwork, when, when literally, that we searched for for over two decades, the artwork has not been found, but film that was shot for it has been discovered, and it means we're going to get to do it. Excellent. And the, that story is called The Pack Rat Instinct, and it's all about collecting. And as Dean told me at the time that he read it, he said, Don, anybody's a collector, anybody's a collector, there will not be a dry eye in the house by the time you come into the story. Okay. So if it wasn't one of my favorite things of everything I've done, probably ragamuffins. Excellent. Although I really love the Zola newspaper strip, too. And we will and talk way, about that next time. We will talk about that next time. Well, Don, tea, honey, tea, honey, I'm going to just keep coming at you. Tea, honey, okay. <laughs> okay, buddy. Okay, I love you, man. You take care. Thank you so much. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And everybody, hey, not only keep telling the damn story, but keep listening to him as well. Take care, Chris. Yeah, buddy. Take care. Okay, bye, everybody. Bye.